Travel back in time with me. It's the days before Thanksgiving, 2020. I'm at home in Southport, Connecticut, when my phone rings. It's an unknown number from Atlanta, Georgia, so I let it go to voicemail. Andrew, my now husband, looks at me knowingly. I'll bet that was Noel, he says. <laughs> and sure enough, a minute or two later, I get the notification of a voicemail. It is Noel offering me a job as your director of youth and young adult ministries. To say that I was overjoyed would be an understatement. And as excited as I was to pack up and move to Virginia that instant, I knew that there would still be some waiting. That's how I felt during that whole process. <laughs> All during my interview process, I was as upfront as possible about my immigration status, I'm Canadian for anyone who doesn't know, and uh, the work authorizations that needed to come with it. But this was my third time going through this particular visa process, so I figured I had a pretty good handle on what it was gonna look like. A lot of paperwork, and thank you to the people here who helped uh, fill all of that in and five to six months of waiting, tops. Well, if you've been here a while, you know how this story goes. First, there were some complications with the work visa I was already on at my other job that needed resolving before we could even apply for my visa here. And then we discovered that the government wasn't accepting any premium processing for visas which meant that my visa would be taking the slow path along with everyone else's. Then we had to wait for a representative from the government to show up on campus, look at the building and say, yeah, that's a church, all right. <laughs> I wish I was kidding, but that's, that's how it works. <laughs> the good news is that if you ever try to hire uh, someone on this visa again, you don't need that site visit again. So I've done that for you, you're welcome. <laughs> the last thing I learned was that the current administration had inherited 1.6 million unopened applications from the previous administration. And before I knew it, that five to six month wait had turned into a year and a half. A year and a half of uncertainty, a year and a half of frustration, a year and a half of anxiety, wondering if the day when I could come join you would ever get here. I filled that time as best as I could with online courses and volunteer opportunities. And while much of it was good, it always kind of felt like busy work, something to keep me occupied. So after some thinking about what I could do, I dove into my theological library, the very large collection of books that I've not yet read, and started digging into some of the Christian thinkers and spiritualists and philosophers that I simply hadn't made the time for before. Around this time last year, I was reading Maria Boulding's 1982 book, The Coming of God. And I came across a line that seemed to reach into the heart of my confusion and frustration about how long I've been forced to wait. 
Advent, she says, is the consecration of waiting in our lives. Advent is the consecration of waiting in our lives. I must have read that line about a dozen times the first time I came across it. And in that moment, it suddenly seemed like perhaps my waiting was serving some kind of purpose, that it was holy and good all on its own, regardless of how long I was being asked to wait. The entire life of John the Baptist was oriented around waiting. According to Luke's gospel, John's father, the priest, Zechariah, sang a song detailing what John's calling in life was to be. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. John was the forerunner, the one who had been called to tell his people that the Messiah was coming and to wait for him. And yet, even after baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, John is unsure. He has begun to doubt. In prison and perhaps losing hope that he would see his life's purpose fulfilled, he sends some of his own disciples to Jesus and asks, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? John's whole life had been focused on waiting for a Messiah, a Messiah who would overthrow the corrupt empire of his day and usher in a new reign of God. And when Jesus fails to do that, John grows impatient and begins to think that maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah after all. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? If you're anything like me, you've probably spent some time in your life anticipating something exciting. The offer of a new job and the work visa that goes with it. A university admissions letter, an important date on the calendar to arrive, a text message from someone you have a secret crush on. We think, I just need this answer now. I need this answer quickly. Then everything will fall into place and I can move on with my life. Advent reminds us that sometimes the waiting is what matters. As Maria Boulding goes on to say, some things cannot be skimped or hurried. We have to let them take the time they need. Faith, she says, can demand long, patient waiting when nothing seems to be happening. And this is just as necessary to growth. My friends, the waiting is often the worst part, but maybe that's what makes it so important. Jesus, in response to John's impatience, does what Jesus almost always does. He refuses to answer the question he's been given and gives the answer to an unspoken 
better question. Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus says. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Now, the layers of meaning behind this response would have been immediately obvious to John and his followers, because it is a direct allusion to the portion of the prophet Isaiah we hear this morning. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. John wants to know if Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus responds by saying that he is redeeming and restoring the people of Israel the way God has promised to do, but not in the ways that John has expected. He expected a Messiah who would overthrow a broken worldly system. Jesus, instead, tells John to shift his expectations. So John must relearn what it is to trust, to have faith, and lean into what it means to wait and not know the outcome. The waiting, says Maria Bolding, changes us, schools us, teaches us to know God. I sympathize with John a lot, as I'm sure many of us can. We've all been asked to wait at some point in our lives. Indeed, from March of 2020 to just recently, it feels like we've been living in one giant holding pattern, waiting for things to return to normal. What John learns, and I think what we've all learned in some way or another, is that normal is never what we think it is. Our expectations are bound to be confounded because God works in ways we can't understand in the moment. At this time of year, the world around us is in a rushed frenzy to get to the next thing. Advent is an invitation to stop and wait for the God who was and is and is to come. The Jesus who was born in the most unexpected of circumstances. The Spirit of God who is in our hearts at this very moment. And the God who will come at the end of all things, making everything new in ways we cannot even begin to imagine. Advent is the consecration of waiting in our lives. In these last two weeks before the joy of Christmas, I invite each and every one of us to embrace the uncertainty of waiting. If we can let go of our preconceived notions of what we're anticipating, our assumptions about how things should be, then we can allow things to take the time they need, and the richness of waiting will change us, school us, and teach us to know God. Amen. Amen.